Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Zach Cox covers the Patriots for Nesson. That's the New England Sports Network, who joins us now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hello, Zach. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. Um, you got a lot of stuff swirling regarding Bill Belichick. Um, in general, how much of this would you consider even close to being relevant compared to how much of it is just your normal mouthy jackassery? Uh, how much of what? What are we talking about? Talking about the fact that this could be a game where he's – uh, on the fence, he's not going to be there next year. What's real and what's not with the future of Belichick there? Well, I think it's safe to say that his feet is hotter than it's ever been. Um, this has not been a, a satisfying season by any stretch of the imagination for the Patriots. They're two and seven right now. A loss this week would, would drop them to two and eight, and with their bye week coming up next week. That traditionally has been the time where if a team is going to fire a coach, that is when you would do it. Uh, I don't think that is going to happen with Bill Belichick just because of all of the the resume that he has built up here, and all of the championships he won, all the success that he had. Uh, I do think it's a very real possibility that if this Patriots season continues the way it has and they finish as a, a four-win team, I do think that Robert Kraft could make a change at that point, but I would be surprised if it happened during the season just based on, uh, I mean, it is Bill Belichick. He rightfully has a yeah. uh, a very large stature uh, in this organization. Well, there's just a lot of like information like that swirling around, a lot of opinion, a lot of criticism like that floating around out there right now. And is it your opinion, does a change need to be made? I mean, realistically, is this team with Belichick from your vision at the end of the line? The biggest issue with this team right now is that their problems are so widespread and there's not really an easy answer for for really any of them. Uh, I mean, they've been playing poor uh, in all three phases. They have no idea whether Mac Jones is potentially a, a franchise quarterback. He certainly hasn't looked that way so far. Uh, but the roster around him, especially on offense, is also very poor. Uh, he's pre- got probably the worst receiving core in the NFL right now. Um, but the biggest complicating factor with all of this is that Bill Belichick is both the head coach and the general manager. I think at this point, if you could say, all right, we are going to bring in somebody else to handle the personnel moves because the Patriots have been really poor in that area over the last several years and continue to have Bill Belichick as the on-field coach, I think that might be the ideal scenario, but I could also see Bill Belichick saying, yeah, there's no chance that I'm going to do that. So um, I think if the season continues like this and they don't show some sort of signs of life uh, over the final nine weeks or so, then I think it it is time to move on. Uh, And that decision may already be made. I doubt that. But yeah, if, if you go, 
if, you, if this is a three-win, four-win Patriots team, I don't know how you can just roll this back out next season. Zach, do you think this game in Frankfurt, if the Patriots lose, have any bearing? Because I know you mentioned that you don't see them firing him during the season. But might this game – because the reason why I bring this up is – when Frank Wright got canned last year, it had all the markings of because of how they performed in New England. And I just can't help to think back to last year. And then Frank Reich, this week last year, got fired midseason. I know that I'm not comparing Reich to Bill Belichick whatsoever. I'm just, you know, I guess, making a comparison of midseason changes like this. But might this game in Germany have any bearing at all, in your opinion, whether or not the Patriots decide to move on midseason here? I don't know if this game specifically would. Uh, I think that if there was possibly going to be a change after this game, it would be because the Patriots have just looked pretty terrible in almost every one of their games this season, with the exception of one upset win they had over Buffalo at home a couple of weeks back. But uh, they just got beat at home by a Washington Commanders team that had just traded away two of its best players. They got blown out by 30-plus points multiple times earlier this season. If they go to this national stage-type game, and I know this game in Germany is very important to, uh, to Robert Kraft because the Patriots do have a large fan base over there, if they have some sort of embarrassing performance in this game, uh, then, yeah, maybe you could say that that is a, a contributing factor there. But uh, I don't think Kraft is placing this specific game uh, up on a, a specific pedal, pedestal by itself. Where are you with Mac Jones right now as the future quarterback, the quarterback that I guess people thought they were going to get that certainly has not been the case to this point? It, yeah, I don't think there's any way at this point that you can say with any confidence that Mac Jones should be the Patriots long-term answer at quarterback he certainly has not played that well or played that way rather uh there are a lot of circumstances around him that have worked decidedly against him uh you go back to the matt patricia experiment last year Uh, his offensive line has been pretty poor his weapons the guys that he has to throw with are just just the talent level isn't there in, in relation to what a lot of other young quarterbacks in the nfl have had uh and the player he is, the type of player he is, he hasn't been able to elevate uh, a group like that. He's somebody like a Brock Purdy that he, that needs just a very talented team around him, uh, and the Patriots haven't given him that. But also, that being said, he's made a lot of mistakes on his own this year. He just looks like kind of a mentally broken player at times with some of the mistakes that he's made, some of the turnovers, some of the just poor ill-advised throws, bad mechanics, bad decision-making. Some of that surely has been affected by the the dysfunction around him over the last couple of years uh, because he was a player who looked very good as a rookie. He was the the uh, runner-up for Rookie of the Year behind Jamar Chase back in 2021. So he has the talent there. It just hasn't shown over the last couple of years, and, and I don't know if at this point there's any way for him to get it back. When's the last time you saw a team look like this? In New England, uh, I don't know. I was probably seven or eight years old uh, back in the uh, maybe in the Pete Carroll era. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's it's been quite a while. Um, even some of the teams that the Patriots have had post Tom Brady, they were never teams that just routinely got blown out and got resoundingly outplayed. Uh, I mean, they came reasonably close to a playoff spot 
with Cam Newton. Uh, they came one game shy of a playoff spot last year. Uh, even early this season, the the first two games they had against uh, Philadelphia and Miami, uh, those both came down to the very end. You can make the case that the Patriots should have won both of those games if a couple of uh, certain plays had gone their way. But really, yeah, with a few exceptions over the last five, six weeks, they've just they've looked like one of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, they have the worst record in the AFC. I think they would pick fifth overall uh, if the season ended today uh, in next year's draft. Uh, it's been 25-plus years since we've seen a Patriots team look like this. Zach Cox joins us at Zach Cox, N-E-S-N. That's Nesson, New England Sports Network. He also hosts a Patriots podcast and uh, a lot more he does up in New England and uh, talks a lot about the New England Patriots on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. There always had been this aura around Bill Belichick and when Tom Brady was there, and in general, this Patriots team, really from top to bottom, from Robert Kraft, you know, all the way down to to whomever at the bottom of the ladder here. Uh, it seems that aura no longer exists. Is that true? Uh, it's certainly, if there's any of that aura left, it's very... Uh fading and fleeting at this point uh, just because uh, as I mentioned it's now been years since the Patriots were uh, even remotely close to contending in the NFL they've gone this will be their fifth consecutive year uh, without a playoff victory Uh, it'll be their I believe their second straight year and third time in the last four years that they've missed the playoffs Uh, yeah really since Tom Brady has left they've been a below average team um, and when you go that long, when and that's your kind of resume and reputation, uh, it's a situation where uh, at this point you are you're, what your record says you are. Hey, Zach, is there any doubt in your mind? Let's just say, for example, there is a parting of ways here between between coach and Patriots organization. Is Bill Belichick a coach in the NFL next year? I think so. Uh, based on everything we've heard from him specifically and all the reporting out there it does not seem like he's someone who is planning to retire after this season even though he is i believe i believe he's 72 71 or 72 uh but he sounds like somebody who still wants to coach so uh i would expect that if the patriots do not want him back next year he will have interest from other nfl teams Uh, i think it would have to be a specific situation that he would want to go into uh i'm sure his his list of potential uh desired landing spots landing spots would be a lot smaller than some other coaches but yeah based on everything we've heard uh it, bill belichick is not planning for this to be his uh his final nfl season is zach any important players not making that trek to frankfurt germany this weekend there is one yeah jc jackson patriots cornerback uh News broke this morning that he will not be traveling with the team to Germany, will not play in this game. Uh, There were reports that he was late to a team meeting uh, on the Saturday night before the game last week. Uh, He ended up sitting out the first two drives of that game, then resumed uh, a pretty normal workload. But whether because of that specifically or because of something that happened after the fact, uh, yeah, he w- will not be with the team in Germany. He was not on the practice field today. Uh, going to be interesting to see whether Jack Jones, one of their other cornerbacks who also reportedly missed curfew, whether he will be making this trip. Uh, he was present at practice today, so it does seem like it's a bit of a different situation with him. But, yeah, Jackson, had uh, he, he's a player who had a lot of success in New England. His first time here was a 
basically an unmitigated disaster during his year and a half with the Chargers, uh, but had played reasonably well until the last couple of weeks. Uh, So definitely going to be a big loss for the Patriots secondary in this game. Zach, how are the fans reacting to the 2-7 and season so far and the lack of playoff appearances and wins and where this organization currently resides? Yeah, they're certainly not happy about it. And the the biggest thing that I'm seeing is a a sense of apathy is almost setting yep. in. Yep. Uh, which is we know it really well. Strange. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's it's very strange yeah. uh, to see around here because it has been so long since the Patriots have been in the spot, uh, especially with the the Bruins and the Celtics both playing pretty well so far this season, both up near the top of the NHL and the NBA. You're already seeing an uptick in in hockey and basketball talk around here, which is kind of unfathomable to think about before Thanksgiving. Uh, It used to be basically all Patriots all the time until February. Now people are uh, starting to shift their attention over to teams that are actually winning right now, which uh, I think is, uh, is one of the biggest indictments on this team. A lot of fans are kind of past the point of being angry with personnel moves or, or angry at the state of the team and they're just kind of saying all right we don't really care right now like let's let's check back in when they're back to uh to being contenders and uh, again at this point we don't know when uh when that possibly might be because they're pretty far from it right now so are you a washed up rugby player do i read this accurately <laughs> I, I am yes yeah i'm curious for about uh 15 years but uh, body's breaking down. I'm getting too old to be uh, to be doing that every weekend. Do you uh, do you live in Boston? I do. Yes. Now, see around here. Like, I give you a great example. I played pickup basketball last night until eleven o'clock, and you can find pickup games often around here. Where is that? Can you find pickup games of basketball more in Boston or more rugby style pickup games? <laughs> I'm sure you can definitely find uh, more pickup basketball games. Okay. Uh, my, my my dad's been trying to get me into into the basketball for the last couple of years because yeah. I don't think he wants me uh, playing much rugby anymore at my age. But uh, but no, there there is a very large rugby base and rugby community in Boston. I believe there's more teams, uh, more like rugby clubs here than any city other than Chicago. I want to say so. Uh, it's definitely reasonably big around here compared to most cities. But uh, yeah, you can certainly find a, uh, a pickup hoops game more easily. You guys uh, drink beers during rugby game rugby games? <laughs> <laughs> Not so much during the games, yeah. but uh, definitely <laughs> after the game. <laughs> hey Zach, man, I appreciate you hopping on here today. And uh, well, here's to better days at some point, and you could basically say the same thing around here because we're still searching after a long period of time as well. Zach, I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, the pride of Peru, Indiana, Jeremiah Johnson joins us. Did you ever dunk in a high school game? (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately not. I was never also one of those guys that spent the extra 30 minutes after practice trying to dunk because it was it just wasn't going to happen I, I think i had one that i threw down in practice and on senior night i did have a steal and a breakaway and i had half a notion that i was going to go up and try it because i had the adrenaline and i just laid it up and it just so happened that was also the photo that was accompanying the story in the newspaper the next day and my hand was above the rim so nice. I, I wish i would have tried it but uh never was able to throw a dunk down now could you um so you just you got it up there with your right hand i guess you couldn't go with two you had to go with the right off of yeah, one foot was, yeah if i was gonna do it i was gonna do it off of one but 
uh, just was a little vertically challenged, unfortunately. Had to had to rely on some other things. The reason why I bring this up, when you do those interviews with Pacer players, you don't look swamped by their height whatsoever. That's a good thing for a sideline guy. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I guess I, I would have looked small if I interviewed Victor Wembanyama, but other than that, I tend to do all right and uh, can look him in the eye most of the time. I look up to Miles and a couple of the others, but I like to think I can hold my own. And it's funny, Eddie White was in here delivering a cookie a little bit earlier, and I love the San Antonio game on Monday night, and here's why. Uh, because I had uh, you know, a lot of people afterwards complaining, well, Wimbam Yama didn't play as much as we thought. They sat him late because the game was completely out of control. He didn't have a good offensive night. And I said, good, 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 good to all those things because that's what you want as a Pacer fan at some point. And I know there's always going to be these special players where fans around here get one chance to come and watch, and they will. But when we get back to that time when there's more of an importance of what the Pacers did defensively to earn that criticism in this case, that's when we're going to know, J.J., we are back here with the fan base and everybody. And that's something also that the Colts fans will have to understand at some point, too. But I was glad to see it. I was glad to see that consistent combined effort against the Spurs Monday night. Yeah, and I would say it was a perfect scenario. I wanted to see him play. I did not want to see... San Antonio sit him on the second half of the back-to-back for a number of reasons, for the fans, but also for the Pacers, that they would not let up, that they would rise to the occasion and accept that challenge. And one thing that I thought watching that third quarter is the Pacers obviously had a big halftime lead, and so often you can see in third quarters of NBA games, teams will come back. And we saw just last week, San Antonio, I think, rallied from down 20 to come back and, and eventually beat Phoenix and so he hit a couple of shots there early in the third quarter and you thought oh no is it going to happen to the Pacers and Rick Carlisle called a quick timeout and that the players were focused and they just didn't let it happen and to take that game and outscore the Spurs in every single quarter and grow the lead as the game went along even with the second unit taking the court in the fourth quarter I thought it was a really positive sign and yes Wembenyama didn't play much late because there was no chance for San Antonio to win, but he was ineffective because I thought the Pacers did a really good job on both ends to make him ineffective. So Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports, Indiana's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, give me a couple of things here, just two answers. Uh, one significant up you have seen with this team, this group so far, and then one significant down. And with that down, you are not allowed to just simply bring up the defense as a whole. I want to make it a little bit more of a challenge for you. Go ahead. It's like a Jay Query question. You're really I know. I know. Well, his influence, he got back from the Netherlands or wherever he was, Luxembourg today. I think his influence is already setting in right here. All right. Well, I've, I've been thinking about this a little bit, and I thought right. before the season started that I knew they wanted to shoot a lot of three-pointers. It was even more of a focus, I think, even than last year on three-pointers or paint touches and layups and try to eliminate some of those mid-range shots. And so with the volume of three-pointers, I just looked out there maybe in the preseason at times and I thought, are they going to be able to shoot a good enough percentage? Because you have Buddy Heald and you have Tyrese Halliburton, but do you have enough other consistent lasers or guys that can be 38 to 40% consistently? And you look down right now, I mean, of the official leaders in the NBA, those that have shot enough three-pointers to qualify, Jalen Smith is leading the league. I think he's 68 or 67% from three. I think he's eight for 12, so he doesn't have high volume, but enough to qualify, and so that is no fluke. 
or at least you know you know he won't be that all season long, but still. And then you've got Neesmith, you've got Heald, you've got Brown. All these guys are shooting above 40%. And what I said is that with the number of threes that they're going to shoot, if they can be 38 39%, most nights that they do that, they'll then be victorious. Now, the one night that they shot it well from three and didn't win would lead to uh, the weakness or the thing that I'm a little disappointed or concerned with, and that would be the interior defense or the paint touches because they're trying to play better perimeter defense. They don't want to allow as many three-point shots, and you've got Miles back there to help, but do you have enough physicality in addition to Miles with his rim protection to really keep people out of the paint? I think tonight we'll see another test in that area with Utah because they're one of the bigger teams. They're one of the teams that focuses on maybe getting some offensive rebounds. We've seen John Collins give the Pacers problems in the past. And so uh, good outside three-point shooting on offense, something I'm going to be watching that needs to improve would be the interior defense. See, Jordan Clarkson's a dude that I would expect to give the Pacers offensive difficulties tonight. You agree? Or I should say defensive difficulties for them, um, offensive difficulties coming from the uh, Jazz offense. That makes sense, somebody like Jordan Clarkson, because he's got a repertoire offensively to where he can, most of the time when he wants, go up there and get his own, or at least he'll try. We've seen him be a little bit of a Jamal Crawford type player in the past where he can just get hot and go on runs. But, you know, back to what I was saying about the emphasis defensively, and it's going to take time, but they're really doing something a lot differently than they did in the past. And so they're still trying to figure out exactly what this scheme and with what what their their principles are defensively. They're trying to take those three-point shots away. They're going to be okay at times with giving up some of the two-point shots. And so we'll see. Clarkson will be a test, and some of it will depend upon if the other guys on the court are hitting shots, you got a guy like Olenek sometimes that steps out there. If there are multiple three-point shooters, that's where I'm concerned. If the Jazz aren't hitting a lot of shots from three and, and Clarkson's your primary focus, I like the Pacers' chances with, with like Bruce Brown or Aaron Nismith saying, go lock that guy down. The concern to me would be if there's three of those guys on the court at the same time. You look at this Jazz team like the year before last – and look at it now, it's not even close. And everybody thought out west, they were on the verge of what everybody felt was a major breakthrough. And then I guess it was a product maybe of COVID in 2020 and all that went on there with Rudy Gobert. And then, you know, obviously, and he and Donovan Mitchell and that relationship. But man, it all went boom and went boom pretty quick. Yeah, now Danny Ainge comes over from Boston, and you know when he comes to town, he's not going to continue to just keep the players that they have. Right. He's going to put his own imprint on the organization. But I'll even look back to the beginning of last season. They started 10-3, and three and they were one of the surprise teams. And, and I thought when the season started last season, they were going to be in the Wemby sweepstakes. And eventually they actually got there, but that took some, I think, creative resting and some injuries to get to that point. But now I think teams are a little more aware – of what they have, and their personnel is probably not built right now to be a playoff team in the Western Conference. And so that's where it's a situation where the Pacers need to take advantage because it's a home-friendly schedule, seven of the first nine. That wraps up a stretch tomorrow night. But you got Milwaukee coming tomorrow. And if you at least win tonight, you're going to be at worst five and four through nine, which I think you wanted to maybe get to six, and you can still do that. But I think you've got to continue to – um, through December when the schedule there are some more road games but it's still not the most challenging you get around Christmas I think you want to be four or five games above 500 
No, I, I would agree. I said this all along, JJ. I wanted to see the Pacers take full advantage of all these home games early on here. And that's why it's so tough to get past, you know, that, that Monday night, you know, over a week and a half ago against the Bulls or Saturday night and that lack of a close against Charlotte. That stuff burns. And then I've had plenty of people say, hey, you know, it's early in the season. What are you crying about? And I'm thinking, I don't care what portion of the season it's in. I just wanted to see them take advantage of these home games. They have to a degree, but man, we're going to look back and say, wow, if you had that one or this one, those I think are going to haunt you a little bit as we get further on in the season. It kind of feels like right now with some of the changes defensively and uh, just with the way the NBA is with, with seemingly a lot of parity, it might be the kind of season where it's win one, lose one, win two, lose one, lose two. And whenever you can go on a run, it'll determine whether did you have a big, long winning streak or did you have a big losing streak? And that's probably going to tilt your record. So uh, I agree with you. I want the home court to be an advantage for so many years. The Pacers had the longest streak active in the NBA in terms of consecutive seasons with a winning record at home. In the last few, they've, they've fallen back a little bit. But I'll give credit to the crowds. November crowds sometimes in the past have been challenging. Uh, it's been pretty loud. It's been very full pretty much every single night. Yep. I know Wemby was a big part of that maybe on a Monday. But Mondays in November traditionally aren't the most well-attended. And it was a great atmosphere. And I even go back to the, the in-season tournament game on Friday was, was action-packed. And to have five games in seven nights is tough on some of the season ticket holders because they've got to drive downtown uh, a lot. So I'll give credit to the fans. The atmosphere is building. Um, the the game against Chicago and the game against Charlotte, what I'll say is you should have at least won one of those. If you yes. win one of those and right now you're sitting there uh, with five wins instead of four, I think you feel that much better about yourself. But that's why uh, go win tonight and still one tomorrow, and I think you can make up for it. You know, you mentioned the fans. The fans, J.J., they're chomping at the bit. They want a winner – but they want more of a consistent winner. And this is so unlike it was this time last year. Remember, we were coming off of Rick Carlisle telling me that, hey, you know, dial down the expectations. We may not look that great one night and, you know, it may take a little bit, but we feel we're on the right track here. And then the expectations are much higher right now, but you have a fan base that's just excited about getting some consistency in winning for their favorite team. Whether we're talking about the Pacers or the Colts or IU or what have you, they are chomping at the bit. And I think you could tell that from the fans at these home games at Cambridge Field out so far. I think you're accurate. The the fan base, the, the sports fans in Indiana are ready. We were lucky to grow up when, when things were going so well for – let's say IU and the Pacers, and then you look at the 2000s when you had, you know, the Pacers making the run to the conference finals. Actually, that, you know, 10 years ago or so, but then you had the Peyton years and and even Butler going to deep runs. So I think everybody's ready to see that, and it's okay that the expectations are a little higher. I think it's, it's perfectly fine when you lose a game to have the fan base disappointed. I would rather have it that way than the other way around, and I do think that the franchise took the necessary step, whether it was to take a step back, but to to start to reshape the roster last season and just prior to that. And now they're ready for some of these increased expectations. And when you hear Tyrese Halliburton or Miles Turner talk after a game that this team loses, that they don't just don't want to have too many 
of those situations. And like I said, I think it'll be important to see where this team is. Christmas might be a little early, but you get to about the second week of January or you get halfway through the season, you've played 41 games. If health is, is on your side and you see where you're at, then you'll know how good you are, and then you'll know whether this is the kind of season that can take uh, what kind of a step forward you can take. Is it just a little step in the progression, or can yeah. you maybe take a big step forward? And, and I don't think we'll know that just by what happens tonight or just by what happens against the Bucks tomorrow. you got to give it a little bit more time. Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports Indiana, is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin, did we kind of unlock with that performance on Monday uh, a little bit of of confidence and cohesion to what not just the Pacers coaching staff expect, but what you can see and get out of Toppin? Or might that have been a one-game type of thing? Because, I mean, he guarded Wembenyama. You would expect he gets Giannis coming up tomorrow night as well. There is a spot for him. And really, J.J., there's a spot for anybody that can play any sort of defense, especially individual defense. Did we find a spot for him significantly, you think, in that San Antonio game Monday night? Yeah, I would say defense and rebounding are the things that he needs to hold his hat on and then continue to run the floor. And and the way he runs and the way Tyrese gets the offense going, he should be able to get six to eight points as, you know, easy, as freebies almost. And two or three times on a home game should be able to get the crowd on its feet. I do think that's something I'm going to be watching moving forward against some of the, the bigger centers. You're not going to face anyone bigger than Wembenyama, but – I like seeing Obi Toppin guard him for chunks of the time. And also Aaron Neesmith off the bench, even though he's just 6'6", he did a really good job as well because then I do think that can free Miles Turner up to maybe he's guarding someone that's even a little more on the perimeter, but then also he can be a help side defender and and do his shot blocking thing. Um, So the physicality from Obi Toppin is necessary but I do think the fit can work really well just because he's not just going to be a physical slowed player. He's a physical fast player, and there aren't as many of those in the NBA. Don't judge his contributions, though, by just looking at the box score. There are going to be nights he scores 16 points, and you're going to think he played a great game. He can still score eight and be really effective, and I think that does help everyone else because he's on the court not needing shots, not needing the ball, and not hanging his head if he doesn't get those shots. So uh, he does seem to be a nice fit, and he's still learning his teammates in the system. So it maybe wasn't as fast a start, I think, as he would have wanted the first two weeks, but I I think he's making some progress over the last couple of games. J.J., did you hear, did Rick Carlisle hear from anybody in Dallas regarding win number 900 the other night? Well, he's got some of his people from Dallas here with him when you consider that Jenny Busick and and Mike Weiner – uh, they were with him in Dallas. I do not know specifically uh, whether you know anybody from Dallas reached out. I would have to assume his text messages were were full, and he had a lot of correspondence. But I do not yeah. know of, of anyone specifically. It's kind of. I was kind of curious about that. I don't know if I'd I'd heard that, but uh, that is one hell of a benchmark right there. I mean, that's 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 survival. That's winning. That's consistency. That's that's one hell of a benchmark. And you think about how many coaches get a chance and then maybe have to learn and maybe they get a second chance. But to be able to have the sustainability and then whenever you're on the road or you you hear another coach, whether it's someone in their 30s, 40s, 50s, it doesn't matter. They all have something 
really positive to say about Rick Carlisle. And, and the thing that I think that's, that's been impressive, and, and I hear from Eddie Gill on a regular basis, and I know you have him on as well, is how Rick has evolved. He's changed. He's adapted yeah. to the way the game has changed. But he's also, I mean, I'll say this, he's a player's coach. And I don't know that uh, when he first started his career that maybe people would have said that about him. Uh, it's genuine. I mean, it's easy for a player to be asked about a coach and to say something you know, nice or positive to the microphone. But I've, there is a genuine respect, one through 17, 18 on this roster for him. And uh, I think he's done a really good job with this group. And I don't think many people expected he would be the kind of coach at, at, to lead a rebuild. And I think he's done a, you know, he's doing a good job and we're going to continue to see some growth. JJ, is Buddy digging coming off the bench? <laughs> oh, I, Probably not, but as long as the minutes and the shots are up there, I think he's probably okay with it. And the thing that, like any competitor, he's shown, and Rick has adapted in this situation where if he's not starting the game, it's one thing, but he's been on the court to finish games quite frequently, and you know what Buddy can bring. So I've not seen him hang his head. I remember the first day or the day we saw the tweets from – whether it was Woj or Shams or who knows, and it was two or three weeks before the season started, and I thought, oh, no, you know, you don't want to have to deal with an unhappy camper, and, and I think team chemistry was one of the Pacers' strengths. And so the way the tweets read, I was a little concerned of what Buddy's mood and his, um, you know, his approach would be. And if you did not know that that was something that happened in September, you would not know. And with all the games he started – he still is the same buddy before the game. He still is the same buddy that's uh, asking to go over to the gym early to get his shots up. And then even I know during the last game, during the timeout, third quarter, Rick calls it. Actually, it might have been the Spurs that called the timeout. He was he was the loudest, the most vocal, and the most positive person in that entire huddle talking to probably six or seven different players about the importance to not let up, to go ahead and continue to play hard. And that, to me, isn't someone that's hanging his head at all so i'm sure if you asked him he'd be prefer to start but he's playing similar amount of minutes as he did last year he's getting a similar amount of shots and he's making every bit as effective so uh he's handling the situation i think probably as well as you could have expected to me and people may disagree completely but to me he's either second or third most essential on this team he just he gives you something consistently that is, is such you know an embraceable skill right now across the NBA landscape, which means it's so important to team success. And I, I don't care if he's coming off the bench or starting, but the impact he has on every game because of his shot making ability from distance, he is essential as anybody else on this team to me. The three point shot is of ultra importance in the current NBA. And there are not too many people that shoot it as well as Buddy Heald. So that should guarantee him employment in this league for a number of years. And I think that you are pretty much spot on here because I'll add just it's not just the shooting. It's you think the, it may hurt Miles' feelings? Will Miles be hurt with that? Well, you didn't necessarily put a one through five yeah. order together, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I did not said I think he's he's easily in the top three. When when I watch JJ, when I watch defenses scramble to try to identify where he is or blank up in rotation defensively because you're trying to find out and tag where he is, that to me is just as important as him stepping up and knocking down a three pointer. I mean, he he just the teams have to know where he is and they get all cluster, you know, whated trying to lock him down, trying to find him. 
and you can't teach chemistry. And when he's on the court with Tyrese Halliburton, it's pretty apparent that those guys have played a lot of games together. And Tyrese, he rarely needs to look at someone to know where they're going to be, but he could have his eyes closed and pretty much know, hey, I'm passing it to Buddy, and I'm going to get it to him right in that, that shooting pocket. And so I think that that relationship is really important as well. How many of Tyrese's assists or three-pointers that Buddy makes? I mean, a lot of them. So uh, I don't think anyone is underestimating or undervaluing Buddy Heel. I think he's really important. And also I enjoyed over the weekend <laughs> at one point the – Back to the fans, they started chanting Buddy's name. That was kind of fun as well. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right, what time you guys hit the air? 6.30. And, you know, it's a back-to-back. It's so rare to have a 5 and 7 to have them all at home. So it's been a little bit – it's been an action-packed week, but no travel involved. And so we're in a nice groove right now and, and looking forward to the game tonight and then again tomorrow. Hey, make sure that Chris is not mad at me because I sent him a text. I think on Monday saying, "Hey, man, can you let can you tell these dudes if they're going to hijack thirty minutes of my time here? Can you get out and play a consistent game of basketball?" Because I was a little bit pissy about Saturday night. There was a hold over there, like I was yeah. about the end result of that game. I was a little bit pissy. And see, normally I don't know if you've been through this before. Normally, when you don't get a response from Denari, that means that something may be a little bit haywire in the works. I was kind of well, wondering if that was the case. I talked to him on the way home, and usually the phone calls, uh, when he calls me after he calls into the uh, Eddie White post game, it's yeah. either after a really, really good game or a really disappointing one. Mm-hmm. If, it's just, if it's just kind of in the middle, there's not much there to say. And uh, everyone was disappointed Saturday. The thing that I kind of a few days later after it was behind us, I thought about was, some of the shots that Charlotte hit, they may not hit again all season. And so, yeah, they need to improve defensively. There were some breakdowns. They should not have allowed 74 points in the paint. But when you had a guy pull a groin muscle, play four on five, and all of a sudden Hayward throws one in from 28 feet, it's, it's a, you know, it's one of those things you don't expect. And then, and then uh, with all the replay reviews and then the technical on Aaron Neesmith, I mean, one point either way. And if it goes to overtime, I think it's a Pacers win. So, uh, that that is one that's going to sting a little bit later in the season. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I hated it. I was even doing JMV takeover, and I had. By the way, I just get a ha ha out of Denary in okay. a uh, in well, a Texas now. Yeah, so just just curious. So uh, Pacers TV with Jeremiah Johnson, and Pacers TV hits the airwaves at what time again? Six thirty. It only takes me about eighteen minutes to get that right. <laughs> I didn't. I'm sorry, dude. I didn't even. I didn't see it when Denari texted me. I went, "Oh, okay, I got you." My bad. My bad. I won't. I won't bring it up. Good night of television tonight from Cambridgeville. I won't bring it up. I promise. And see, I didn't. And I. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't hey, gonna. I, I was prepared either way. Uh, we hope as many people. Uh, can watch as are able to watch and uh are know, there not any problems right now all the fans. are there yep. problems right now i didn't notice any problems monday night were there no zero uh, it's hard for me to keep track but i think so far, so <laughs> <laughs> hey listen remember that time when they they sold they sold the am here so a bunch of dudes up on the seventh floor could buy more bedazzled jeans remember that i went through the same damn thing i know what you're talking about there 
yeah. <laughs> Do the best you can and control what you can control. And sometimes there are things you just can't there, – there are going to be no explanation. So you just got to move on. And Pat Walsh upstairs bought like 20 pair of bedazzled jeans at the expense of the AM signal. So they couldn't hear me down in Greene County any longer. So, yes, uh, I know, you know exactly. I still, I still miss that AM signal. Bob. telling you. Well, at least Pat yeah. Walsh has got 20 pair of bedazzled jeans upstairs now. So it's great. Everybody's good. <laughs> <laughs> See, if I'm going to get you in trouble, I just felt it necessary to go ahead and try to get myself in trouble at the same time. Is that fair? Well, I appreciate that. Hopefully, hopefully, neither of us get in trouble. All good. And we can continue to have these conversations moving forward. Pacers TV. It's Jeremiah Johnson on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. We'll be watching tonight, man. Have a good one. Thanks, John. You got it, brother. Kevin Bowen is with us. Are you prepped and ready? Prepped and ready. Yeah. Rosie just looked at me and saw like the shampoo I'm supposed to use on Thursday night and asked me, what is this, daddy? So. Wow. Yeah. They gave you a special shampoo. So you can't use Prell like you normally do. You got to use a special shampoo. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah, basically like a shot glass of shampoo. It looks like here. So yeah, I'm ready to go Friday, uh, Friday at 9 a.m. Love it. At least you're not going to Germany. <laughs> I'll never forget back in May when uh, it was announced and like the day after, you know, I was like, well, we don't really know a lot about Frankfurt and you start to look into it and you're like, oh, it's the financial district of Europe. Oh, that's interesting. Some dude called in. He's like, yeah, I lived in uh, Frankfurt for eight years. I would label it if Calgary and Foxborough had a baby, that would be Frankfurt. And I'm thinking that sounds wow. awful. So okay. yeah. Calgary, I mean, is there any any way maybe something that's a little bit more relatable to us? I've not been to Calgary. Um, I haven't been to Foxborough either. I know you have with the Colts before, though. Yeah, Foxborough sucks. Yeah, um, especially this time of year. Yeah, I mean, I, I just are, are you talking about weather wise? Weather wise is what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. It's everywhere. Some, yeah. Some, some other things, but um, yeah, I mean, Bernard Ryman, I guess, offered a little bit better of of perspective today, and that you know he was just like you know it's a very older city, but yeah. uh, you know, I'm pretty sure the weather looks like this for Sunday. I think it's just 50 and kind of overcast and rainy, which I think it's I, I think there's like a bit of a over. I think there is not like outright roof, but I think they can enclose that to a degree and yet still get a little bit of open air action in it so uh, yeah I, I just think it's I don't know dreary fall like did you want to go certainly not what we're enjoying did you want to go I think initially I did um, and, and I mean really the only time I've ever been outside of like North America Mexico the Caribbean was when we went to London back yep. in 2016 so yep. Uh, but I will say I've never really had Germany like on the list. Like I, I think of, you know, Italy and Spain is probably like the yeah. next two places I would love. To Greece is on my list. Santorini, San, Santorini's high on my list right there. Yeah, Greece would be awesome as well. But I've never, I don't know, I've never really felt like, oh yeah, let's go to Germany. Um, I know some people have been and they enjoyed it. They they did a little bit more yep. of the Oktoberfest scene. Um, so I guess we're a little bit later with that, but. It's it's also such a short trip. Like even if you know if you're Joel Erickson, if you're you know James Boyd, Nate Atkins, any of those guys that are going, I mean they are leaving tomorrow. I mean they're pretty much doing what the the Colts are doing, minus the direct flight. Uh, they're doing the 
you know, red eye on, on Thursday with layovers. And then I think Joel's driving to Cincinnati. And then I have to fly Cincinnati to Dallas, he was telling me, then Dallas to Frankfurt. And then, you, yeah. <laughs> and then you lose, you know, obviously a full day coming home. So that aspect of it, I will not miss. But, I mean, if, you know, if the station would have been like, hey, Kevin, do you yeah. want to go? Yeah, I probably would have gone. And instead, I'm going to have a robot operate on my hair. That's that, that's going to be much better, by the way, too. You're going to be much better off when you look like yeah, a very young, a very much better, very youthful Gabe Kaplan. You will thank me later for that right there. But I'm going to tell you this: connecting flights, so Cincinnati to Dallas to Frankfurt, Germany, sounds awful. Once upon a time, I had to go from Indy to Houston to Anchorage, Alaska, and I had to sit in the middle seat. And a couple of bros sat on either side of me and spilled their um, their cranberry and vodka all over my knee. And I, I, I made the mistake. I had eaten a burrito in Houston, and it was probably, I mean, it was literally the worst flight of my entire life. It was like eight, I think it was like eight hours, seven hours, Houston to Anchorage, Alaska. So, well, time out. It what was were you, you were the king of yes. no road games. What were you thinking going burrito in an airport? No, that's, yeah, I know. That's what, that was kind of before, right? Before I've acknowledged <laughs> the fact that me playing on the, the road, road is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I would imagine if, if something would have happened that I thought was going to happen, they would have had to make an emergency landing somewhere in the Yukon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was awful. And these two, these two dorky bros next to me with their vodka and crayon spilling it and yip yapping it up. It was awful, absolutely awful. So, yeah. connecting flights. Like I went to London on a direct flight. I left from here and went all the way to, to Getwick Airport and had a, a, an absolute fantastic time. I love that. Yeah, I mean, again, London was awesome, and, and I would enjoy experiencing something else. And I, and I did really really enjoy just like the genuine fandom that is was over in london and, and i think by all accounts frankfurt and I, honestly frankfurt's yeah. got a little bit more i guess of football history that i'm sure is over there as well so i would miss that but it's funny you bring up that flight path and the actions you did on that flight path joel i was talking to joel today about him you know driving to cincinnati flying to dallas and then dallas to frankfurt and he was, you know, saying how happy he is he's going through Dallas because he can, you know, load up on Mexican food and have a couple margaritas and sleep <laughs> yeah. on the flight. Yeah. And, and, and I and I looked at Joel like I'm kind of talking like you right now, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know about your guys' experiences with Mexican food, but there's just yeah. a pit stop or two before I rest the eyes. And they would have to throw to me to down in the there. cargo hold area. Yes, I could not ride with the passengers. I don't know if I, I already bump enough things in that laboratory with how they're how they're configured. I don't know if I want to be hitting any turbulence with Mexican food. Oh much. man, it was brutal. It was brutal. Hey, by the way, will any of the riders over there, anybody covering this event, will they decide to go to the boyhood home of Andrew Luck over there? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I kind of bring yeah, it up in I, jest more than anything else, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, good luck finding the address to Andrew Luck's boyhood. I'm sure it's some there, great but... piece of architecture. Now, did he live in Frankfurt? I'm trying to think. Was that the home of, of I thought, at did that he, point with I, his dad? I thought that he was – was he not in Germany, in Frankfurt, Germany, when his dad was there? 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. So the the dad ran the World League. Why? Yes. Why do I feel the like waffle. The, the, yeah, the the thing. World League of America. The waffle, I believe it was called, right? Yeah, I know that Luck's favorite player growing up was some Frankfurt Galaxy receiver. His name escapes me right now. So yeah. Yeah, or you could do that, and then you could slide over to the Netherlands and see where he spent two months after his shoulder issues, I guess. If yeah, was, and then uh, and in, in Germany when Manning went over there to see about his neck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this is all full, full circle with my artist robotic after you Exactly. <laughs> I'm hey. going to the pyramids up, up on the north. Hey, I did that today because I know you love the folks at QC Kinetics, as do I. I did that today in my knee. Nice. Yes. So uh, I, I assume you went to Greenwood location? I went over to Eagle Creek today. But, um, yeah, I'm going to have my four-inch vertical. I'll be able to – you know how when um, Brad Stevens would say guard your yard? Um, I guard my half yard. I can guard my half yard. I can move to my left a little bit right now. Pretty sweet. <laughs> I got nervous there when you started off with your four-inch. You know, I'm going <laughs> to yes. improve my four-inch what? There's no help in that, brother. <laughs> Some things you chalk up as losses. So, I mean, I'm waiting for somebody to come up with something technology-wise, <laughs> but they've yet to do it. So, yes, they've yet to do it. Um, right, let's start here. Let's start with the Pacers and the Jazz coming up later on tonight. I was incredibly disappointed with the outcome of that game Saturday. Hated the lack of execution in closing in what was a spectacular game for Tyrese Halliburton. I thought they brought it all back to us with running rough shot over the Spurs on Monday night. Is there a way with this Jazz team that can't defend whatsoever and this Pacer team that can score presumably at will to where the consistency of what we saw Monday night can ride into this Wednesday night encounter with Utah? Well, I, I would hope you take care of business tonight. I mean, I guess you could have a little bit of looking ahead to tomorrow. I, I, I'd like to think you're maybe you learned from Charlotte, um, how you learned from Chicago a week ago Monday. Um and you wouldn't do that. You know, I think it's just important one to take care of business. Uh, Utah hasn't won a game on the road all year. Um, you know, it's funny when you look at these first, you know, seven of nine at home, in that stretch, you had two, I think, you know, tough home games, Cleveland, which you won, and then obviously the Bucks tomorrow night. But within that, whether it was the Wizards opening night, you know, Chicago, um, obviously you look at Charlotte, you look at San Antonio, and then tonight with Utah, those are five, I think, teams you'd probably believe at the end of the year are going to be in the bottom of their respective conferences. And, and you've already lost two of those with Chicago and with Charlotte as well. So, I mean, if you, you went two and three in that stretch, I don't know, maybe steal one tomorrow and, and, and you come out looking decent. But uh, I think it's really important to take care of business tonight and then, you know, finally show up against – Against the Bucks, I know last year you did beat them, but yeah. I mean you've not only lost to them consistently over the last few years, you've been run off the floor uh, quite quite often in those matchups. So uh, similar to I think they made a little bit of a statement last Friday against Cleveland, uh, playing them at full strength and and, and beating them. Uh, I think that's something you'd like to see them do on their home floor tomorrow. So um, you know with at Philly twice in three nights coming up. I do think it's kind of important back-to-back. Don't remind me of that, by the way. I don't need to be reminded of back-to-backs. And Who came up with that idea? Somebody's just trying to uh, torture me. What are they doing that for? (laughs) I I would guess if if you're asking a serious man, there are probably some sort of, you know, uh, travel, resting. Yeah. Didn't I mean I, I don't know? Would you rather just be a back to back, or are you even? More I don't want it. I don't want it two out of three nights. 
No, I don't. And that's one thing. One thing regarding Miles, I think he may have had one, but there, there is no doubt with that matchup when he's out there and Embiid is out there. And listen, Embiid's going to do that to basically everybody. But let's just say for somebody that has been a staunch supporter of 33, those aren't normally good nights. And to have that two out of three nights is not ideal for me. Yeah, and I know you and I have gotten into this debate before of, you know, Miles and Embiid and, you know, what is, what Embiid has done. And I don't know if the stat is still there, but I think at one point, if you look at all the teams in the Eastern Conference, um, the Pacers is who he has his biggest scoring average against. So that matchup specifically, as you know all too well, has not gone well. And um, I would like to see that become more of a, whatever, a 22, 24-point night for Embiid and not – whatever, 32 or 34. Um, like I'll take 32. Against he put 48 up the other night. I'll take 30. I think I'd take 30. <laughs> <laughs> was it last year? Last year is the one where I feel like, what was it, like 2,000 the first three minutes? One of the games at Banker's Life. Come on, man. Like, don't remind me. Yeah. I know. And, and Miles has had a nice start. Yeah, I know. I know. Hey, you went down this path bringing up Philly. I did. I know. Hey, by the way, no Walker Kessler tonight. The second-year player, the big man out of Auburn, has an elbow situation. He's going to be reevaluated. He's going to miss further time, but no Walker Kessler. For the Jazz, and the only visit for Utah at the Fieldhouse tonight. So, the more you know. Is that a a USA team member, Walker Kessler? Yes, yes. On the World Cup team. The Jazz have the biggest group of misfits. They do. It's like... Wait, John Collins is on the Jazz? Like, <laughs> did I miss something here? Uh, like, Collins Sexton, I kind of forget. Like, he was involved in that Donovan Mitchell trade. There was one more I was looking up today. I'm like, wait, that guy is on the Jazz as well? So, Well, Kelly yeah, Olenek, a- Kelly Olenek's taking his Olenek. tour around the yeah. NBA, so there's another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the man bun is now in Salt Lake City for Kelly Olenek, so – yeah, this is a group that, sure, I mean, they got a bunch of random dudes that at one point in their career, they've, you know, certainly filled it up. And I know Mark it in, to be fair, I mean, he's a, he's a pretty good player, but still. 0-4 uh, on the on the road. Uh, I'd like to see the Pacers take care of business tonight. Yeah, especially, too, when we talk about it, Kevin Bowen, the morning show joins us, the the depth, and that has been, I think, the, the focal point for many regarding this Pacers team. I mean, this, if it is real – and spectacular should come in handy in these back-to-back situations as we're going to see both uh, tonight and tomorrow night for the Pacers, too. If, if, I guess it's a small sample size, so we don't know truly if it does exist, but we'd like to think that it does. And if it does, this is what that team would be built for, even if it is a tough second half of that in Milwaukee. Oh, without question. And, and I mean, again, I, I've been bullish on their depth. I think you know that's probably a big reason why. I self-thought 45 wins. I think you were kind of in the same boat. I mean, when you watch Smith and Heald in particular, John, getting the game, it's just like, I mean, you can make the argument you might even feel better about them being in there than you do, you know, whatever, Matherin or Toppin yeah. at, at different points this season. Um, and sure, you can look at that in a way and say, okay, what are Matherin and Toppin for you this year? And that, you know, remains to be seen. And it's a long season. We'll see how it plays out. Um, but the encouraging sign is you have options. You've got plenty of options. Um, and, and even Nemhard and Jalen Smith has had a great start to the year. And I still think, you know, and I know you certainly have preached this, that DJ McConnell can give you quality minutes when you need to turn to him. So I think more so in the playoffs, uh, or I should say more so in the regular season, 
I think that's where you feel that that depth. Because to your point, when you're playing the back-to-backs and you've got you know inevitable injuries that are going to uh, arise, uh, the fact that the Pacers can go deep and are really really quality. And I mean, if you just looked at their first seven or eight, I, I would probably put that that first seven or eight up there with a lot of you know top seven or eight man groups in the league. Now, you know, if you just narrowed it down to the top two or three, that's maybe a different story. And then they got to spend the postseason where you get to a different story. But you got to get there first. And that's why I think the Pacers uh, will get there is because they have such great depth when you're talking, you know, the top seven or eight guys. Does uh, your partner in the morning, Andy Sweeney, does he thank you every single morning right before 7 a.m.? Does he thank you? And I mean, sincerely thank you out loud for saving him from having to talk about anything sports-related around Louisville and Southern Indiana? Does he thank you daily? Because he should. Does he? <laughs> I, did, uh, I did say to him today, I go, you know, could you imagine today would be the day where you'd be like having on, you know, Kentucky and Louisville 247 sports, you know, college basketball basketball recruiting analysts to break down the um yes the respective respective recruiting class and, and it's kind of an, it's an afterthought anymore here right yeah right 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 yeah and, and obviously you know shout out to purdue for keeping Kane and catchings when that you know has some yep. up and down moments or some uncertainty and obviously with indiana getting liam mcneely a few weeks back but yes i would much rather talk um Colts and Pacers than having to break down the recruiting calendar for college basketball programs 12 months out of the year and talk about Kenny Payne losing to right. Rockin' Max. What Max just say? Yeah, Max is trying to go head first down the slide right now. I, I don't, I don't know if that's maybe the best mechanism that we want here. What uh, um, is he? Who's he out there with? He's out here with Rosie. Yeah. Nice. These are days you just can't pass up outdoors at this point in the old in the old calendar year. So, yep, grilling some burgers, playing out here on the playground one last time, probably. Grilling some burgers and on the playground. No, seriously, though, and I don't know, maybe it's Mark Dykton who needs to bring it up. He, he needs to thank you for that, considering what he'd be talking about right now in the future, especially with Louisville. My, Louisville's an absolute collegiate basketball mess. The heck would you well, want to talk hey, about that product about? Well, it's funny, too. Next week, right, is when, I think it's a week from Sunday, Indiana plays UConn in that, I don't know what it's called, you know, some Legends Classic or something out there in New York. And the other game is, you know, Louisville, Texas. And, you know, in all likelihood, I would assume UConn beats Indiana and then Texas beats Louisville. And (laughs) that game for IU turns into like a a mid-major game against Louisville, which, again, it's just shocking that that's where where Kenny Payne has them now two years into – into his uh, his era, and based off their exhibition performance, no signs of that changing anytime soon. So Kevin Bowen, the morning wake-up call with KB and Andy, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. on the fan. So I thought watching IU last night that IU looked a lot like the IU team of a year ago, but without an absolute go-to score. Now, certainly they had moments. They had about a six, seven-minute run from the 10-minute mark in the second half. Uh, defensively is where they started, and they locked down Florida Gulf Coast. But as far as offense, they're going to have guys that score, I just don't think that they're going to have guys that are going to be able to complement one another. I just I wonder who's going to bust out, who's going to be that guy, because you know they've had Trace, and you could count on that. There's just really nobody you can count on 
possessionally speaking, offensively, certainly to the level you had with Tracer or anybody, I, I kind of wonder how that's going to evolve moving forward. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I thought the two kind of critical points in the second half, the coaching staff kind of told you who they trust right now. Um, the first possession of the second half, they go right to renew. I think he scored. I think it maybe would have been his right hand. Um, so clearly, you know, that's something you think about over halftime. You obviously draw something up, and boom, you go to him. And then when they got down six there, and Woodson took the uh, took the timeout with about ten and change to go. It was renew again. I think actually that time he finished with the other hand. So clearly, as a staff, they felt like in those moments that was the guy who they went to. I mean, late clock. I I, I guess it's Xavier Johnson, but he, I mean, you know how that can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean that, throw it's... one in one possession and then throw one to the other team. Yeah, the next possession. So you know, does Mbako get there at some point? You know, based off his shooting, which seems to be a strength that obviously you know, he didn't see any action late. Um, yeah, I, I thought honestly, I thought Woodson was spot on after the game, saying. Uh, I've got a lot of work to do with this team. And, 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 and to a degree, I think that was to be expected sure. when they return, you know, whatever. I think they're 13th in the Big Ten in terms of minutes that they're bringing back. But that will be a storyline all year long. Who are your go-to guys? And just who gets you out of offensive ruts? And what does your half-court offense look like? Because last night uh, when Florida Golf Coast wasn't hacking, it was a struggle. I um I can rock with the Trey Galloway floater, though. I can. I think he's athletic enough to utilize that to the highest degree. I actually, we saw it a couple of different times last night. I want to see it more. And honestly, I mean, I was talking to somebody who was kind of privy to like some summer info, and they said Galloway shot at the best of anybody during the summer. That still looks pretty broke. That still looks pretty broke. (laughs) And I know he's had injury issues in his career where, you know, wrist issues, and it doesn't look like the prettiest thing in the world. But, I mean, if you told me, who do you and where you know he only made two shots last night but I thought he had a pretty good the first game kind of you know stuffing a lot of the stat sheet there but if you were going to say who are the two most consistent guys you would trust I mean it's got to be Galloway and Renew um but if you were going to offer maybe who has the most potential or you know who who could give you a higher ceiling the answer is probably other guys it is probably Xavier Johnson it is probably McKenzie Mbako it is probably Khalil Ware but you know, how that goes, and they certainly need more from C.J. Gunn and Caleb Banks. I mean, I think those are two critical guys for this team. Like, I, I, I think those are two big guys just moving forward. Like, you have to have some internal roster development, and those are two guys that I think could help you out from a guard and wing standpoint as well. Tied in knots a couple of different times defensively last night. Losing sight, losing track. Hey, do you think – could we compare IU's – situation uh, with their players to that of the Colts, meaning they have talented guys, but their their talent lies within a portion that may not be, and you can make this argument about a lot of teams, and some probably would make that argument with Purdue, would lie in, in non-essential college basketball positions, kind of like what we have argued the Colts have done to this point with this build. Yeah, it, well, I mean, it's funny you say that. I think it's, at first I was like, oh, boy, where's he going with this one? And actually now it, now it makes total sense. Um, I mean, look at how they ended the game. It was not Mbako. It was Gabe Cups. Yeah. I mean, that that is a more natural-looking five-man group in terms of height, if you will, with you know Mbako or with uh, Cups and Xavier Johnson and then Trey Galloway and Malik Renew and and where. So, yeah, I I do think if you look at their roster construction, 
it's probably one too many bigs and one too few guards. And, and I'd probably point more kind of like guard wing. Because, um, again, late clock, who's getting it for you, who's creating for you, um, I don't know the answer to that question. I assume it is Xavier Johnson. But, again, there's so much volatility that comes with that. And, and, and even if you just look at their starting five, to me, it's – a fascinating group of five. And I say that certainly their some of their skill sets are, are pretty fascinating, but more of just like, how does it all fit? Like, I, I think Woodson has got quite the challenge on his hands because McKenzie Mbako and Cleo Ware have made it clear. They're there for one year and they believe they're lottery picks. Okay. Xavier Johnson, again, at times right. he plays you into the NCAA tournament. At other times it's, you want to bench him. Um, and then the two most consistent guys, as I said a couple minutes ago, in my opinion, are Galloway and Renew. And those are more of your whatever, three- or four-year college guys. So it's a five-man group of just very different objectives and how you get all of that to buy in, how you make all of that look. Again, in the game situations, last night, of course, it wasn't the same five. Um, yeah, Woodson's got quite, quite the, again, fascinating challenge on his hands of right now, I don't really see how it all – comes together, but the beauty of the college basketball season is it's very, very long, and the non-conference schedule kind of sets up to, you know, nothing too, too crazy in November outside of the UConn game. Um, and then, obviously, the Big Ten, you would look at and think, yeah, there are a couple teams at the top, but still, after that, uh, who knows? So, yeah, what it looks like in February and March, we yeah. heavily scouted from Big Ten teams. Oof, uh, that'll be interesting. What do you and Red Sweeney have going on tomorrow morning? sure he'll love that one as well uh i once i found out that joel erickson was driving to cincinnati to get on a flight to germany i said well we're gonna need you on um so we'll get him on 74 at that hour hopefully passing them i don't know mile and exit uh at that hour so yeah he's gonna join us and then um we're gonna have scott agnes on i do feel like from a valley you know court standpoint you know obviously recapping the game but i think there's a lot of pacers related questions of to the uniforms the court Valley sports, the future of it, all of it. And I feel like um, Scott's kind of been on that one. So looking forward to chatting with him as well. I always have a problem in air travel of being on a flight that's not going in the direction of your destination. Yeah. I, I hate agree. that. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I hate that. That's why I said, you know, hey, we're going to Anchorage, fair. Alaska. What the hell am I doing flying to Houston? Right. So who, who, who right. put this thing together? Well, you know, I, I'm going to guess a little bit of a indie star budget probably contributed to some of that there. But, yeah, the old on a map, drive down yes. 74 to Cincy, fly to Dallas, fly to Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, that's not the nice, you know, linear line that you were hoping for. Got it. All right, buddy. You guys have a great show in the morning beginning at 7 a.m., the morning wake-up call with KB and Andy. Max and Rosie and Maddie have a fantastic dinner that Daddy is cooking out back. Enjoy it. Cooking it out back. Yes, we are. A little burger action. Thank you, John. All right, buddy. See you later. Kevin Bowen right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, chill, fellas. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now. Very good team on the south side and joining us, their head coach at UND, the Greyhounds. Um, well, uh, former Ron Colley standout, former uh, multi sport athlete, fantastic coach down at UND. Paul Casaro joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Did I just about cover everything? 
I think you give a great description. Is there anything else? Did you, uh, did you play at the Baxter YMCA? What years did you play there? I actually did uh, first or second grade. Uh, my dad was our coach, and you know, I, I think we had the best team that year, man. I have some good memories down there. Did you really? Yeah, you get to walk. We go back there and play your games and walk by the uh, the uh, the older folks working out in the pool right there. Get to watch that, oh, too. Oh, yeah. We had, our, we had our wristbands on. That's how you knew how to guard. You had to guard the same color wristband <laughs> that, that, that you had. Yeah. Do you guys do that at UND? Do you guys put the wristbands on? The other days, I feel like we probably should try it, you know, when we're not guarding anybody. But, you know, I haven't tried it yet. Hey, here's one thing. The associate head coach is a friend of mine from where I grew up in Greene County. In fact, at Nolensburg, Mike Burris. And I've often wondered this, Paul, and I don't know if you've ever had a chance to ask him. Do you wonder why in every single picture he takes, it looks like he's holding his breath? You know what? I've never wondered that. That uh, it's a very accurate. It's a very accurate observation, and I'm probably going to walk over to his office right after this and, and, and ask him. You go if you go back to like when he's Player of the Week in the Bloomington Herald Times for what he did at Eastern Green, and such a really, really good basketball player, high school level wise uh, too in college. Uh, he always looks like he's taking a picture, like he's holding his breath every time. Uh-oh. You know what? You're. I think you're. I think you're spot on. <laughs> hey, I know you're not holding your breath now because the season officially is here. You guys had that game down in Bloomington last week, but the season is officially here on the road for you. What do you see in your guys moving forward here? You know, we have a really, really tough group. Um, a lot of returners. I was really proud of how they competed down in Bloomington. Obviously, leading by two at half, ran out of gas second half. But um, if we can defend and, and just flat out compete um, throughout the season the way that we did in that first half, um, I think Crayon fans and people in the city of Indianapolis are going to have a team that they really want to get behind. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about our group. But you know, now we got to go do it. You know, they start counting on Friday. No doubt. I want to get back to that October the 29th game down in Bloomington because your team was leading at the half. And you mentioned you really liked the first half of play that you saw. What was at the top of that list of things you did like seeing down in Bloomington uh, over a week ago? You know, they're they're huge. They have NBA length. And, you know, I think Coach Woodson has a team that's just going to get better and better throughout the year. They have a 6'8", 3", a 6'10", 4", and a, a 7'5", and then they got, you know, 6'7", six, 6'7", seven, six, seven, six, come off the bench. They're massive. And the fact that, you know, we um, were even with them on the rebounding battle uh, at halftime and we're rebounding with, with those guys, uh, I think speaks volumes to just how my guys brought it and, you know, their mentality with their, their physical and their effort. Um, and like I said, I think if, if we can do that against teams at our level, I think we can really dominate the glass, which is always a stat that we um, aspire to do. So that that's one of those things. And then, you know, we held them to, you know, under, um, under 40% in the first half, like, you know, 35% from the field. So the way we really got after it defensively, and that's how we built our group. You know, we want to we wanna be long and athletic uh, like they are at their level for our level. You know, so that's kind of uh, we were kind of mirror images of each other they're just high major and more division two I was going to ask you this Paul Casarles the head coach of UND starting out on Friday and then on Saturday uh, both are road games we'll talk about that in in just a second you went to Nova Scotia back in August right a a three game foreign tour if you will how'd that go for your group 
it was, it was really special. Um, you know, Nova Scotia is a, a really neat place. Yeah. I'd never been there before. So that was, that was cool to see. And the reason we went there, you know, we were at fundraise some money to do, you know, one of those foreign tours that schools do once every four years in the preseason. And uh, Josiah Tynes, our point guard, um, who's in his fourth year, who's been with us since, you know, we, we took over in the, the, the new regime here. He is from Nova Scotia. And he went to uh, prep school in, in St. Louis. He went to junior college down in down in Florida. So he has not played. He had not played a game in front of his family and friends since the eighth grade. Wow. So it was a great opportunity to give a kid uh, the opportunity to go back and play in front of his people. And also, no one in our program had, had been to Nova Scotia besides Josiah, so it was a completely new thing for everyone. And You know, the, the games were great, but seeing the pride um, in Josiah from his community was even more special. We gave him that awesome opportunity. And then the team building and the camaraderie that comes along with trips like that, it was just it was really, really neat. Well, that's cool for him, too. And I, I think about it in terms of camp- Canada, it is just growing like crazy. Basketball up there. I mean, high-level basketball players. It seemed like coming out of, of Canada by the handfuls anymore. We didn't used to see that. However, you rarely, if ever, see anybody come from Nova Scotia, in this case, in Canada. What, did you get a feel for what basketball, how it's enjoyed, how it's embraced in Josiah's hometown, in and around his area, Nova Scotia? Definitely. I mean, there are some really good players. There's actually a, um, um, a a guy from Josiah's local community that's in the NBA right now with the uh, Bucks. Uh, uh, Lindell's his first name. I, I, his last name's slipping me, but he is uh, currently in the NBA. Josiah grew up with him. Uh, when we played Acadia University, it was sold out. I'm talking about next to Bloomington in Assembly Hall. It'll be the next most ruckus environment we play in this year. Their, their football team, the Canadian football team, was there for fall camp, so they were packed. There was not an, there was not an open seat. They couldn't even hear me during timeouts. I had to write down on the dry erase board what I was saying. It was so loud. So it was. Wow. I mean, it was it was wild, and it was just really really neat. You're right. They do embrace basketball, and there's some really good players up there. Lindell Wigginton is who you're thinking of from Iowa State is the guy Correct. that uh, is on the Bucks. So he's he's from Josiah's hometown. Yep, they grew up at the same local community center uh, playing together, actually. Man, that's incredible right there. What a great story. I just I looked at that uh, as a part of your schedule back in August, and I thought, I bet that that is a really important time. You see a lot of things, and for Josiah, that's just an incredible moment that he will remember forever, you know, celebrating with friends and family where he grew up and with teammates as well. But it probably brings your guys closer together, which is really what is necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we always pride ourselves on having a family atmosphere here and a really uh, tight-knit group, uh, but there's no such thing as being too close. And, uh, right. you know, and, 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 and what I try to do is – take a step back we didn't we, we kind of rolled the balls out and play we didn't do our normal pregame you know prep that we always do I wanted the guys to enjoy each other so they went to the beach one day with our grad assistants and our managers and you know the, without the coaches so they could go do their thing we all went over to Josiah's family's house for dinner his, his mom and his grandmother cooked for us um, you know we, we we did a lot of those things and it definitely did bring them closer and you know you bring in new guys every year we had freshmen and transfers that came in and it got them more acclimated with our returners than uh, than they typically would because of because of that trip. He is Paul Casaro, the head coach of UND. They are set to get off on the the real portion, which what counts of their schedule. You get the Midwest Region crossover, Parkside and Kentucky Wesleyan down. I'm assuming at the home hardwood of Kentucky Wesleyan in Owensboro, Kentucky, coming up Friday and Saturday. A little bit about that. 
I'm really excited. You know, we have the toughest uh, non-conference schedule that we've had since uh, in my time here. Uh, we're playing no, um, you know, we're all, all D2. We're not playing D3s or NAIAs, all D2 schedule. And, um, you know, Kentucky Wesleyan, as most people know, is is kind of like a, a Duke or a Carolina in the Division Two world. You know, they, right. in, from the, in the 90s and early 2000s, several national champions. And uh, the Owensboro Sports Center just has so much history. Uh, so that'll be really unique. And then we also play Wisconsin Parkside there. And they were in the NCAA tournament last year. So heck of an opening weekend for us. It's a big challenge. And, you know, we're excited to get going. How loaded are both of those teams? Very, very well. I mean, like I said, the NCAA tournament team for uh, Parkside last year, they have a great coach. You know, he was coaching when I was playing. You know, Luke does a heck of a job. They can really shoot it. That's what they do. High-level shooters, we have to defend the arc. And then, you know, Wesleyan just they, – they, they beat Louisville last week in an yeah. exhibition. So, I mean, that says a lot right there. They went into the M Center and won by three, and we're going to be on their uh, home court. And I'll tell you what, they, they talk about a loyal fan base. You know, we play them Saturday night. That place is going to be full, and, you know, we better bring it because they're going to be ready. They love basketball in, well, really, the state of Kentucky, but certainly in and around Owensboro, uh, like nobody's business, and no question about that. Paul Casaro joins us. Uh, top to bottom on your roster, what do you like about this group that you have? You know, our length, our versatility, um, you know, leadership in terms of what we return. You know, we, um, you know, we returned seven guys who played a lot of basketball for us last year. You know, in, in our anticipated starting lineup, we have four seniors, so that says a lot about our leadership. Two All-Americans return, and, and Jesse Bingham and Kendrick Choa. So, I mean, that's a heck of a place to start. We were able to retain them and, you know, didn't lose those guys. So, that it just, you know, we have a group of guys that have been together now going into the fourth year that, you know, they've really put in a lot of work. They have a lot of pride in you, Indy, and give a lot of back to the school and program. And I'm, I'm ready to see uh, a culmination of all these years come together and finally come to, come to fruition for hey, this group because they deserve it. Hey, Paul, give me one thing that, that you feel that this group, you really want to see them at the top of your list this season approve, improve upon um, compared to last year? You know, offensively getting out and going. We've always defended, you know, we've always been real efficient in the half court, but I'm trying to let them play a little bit more in terms of just, you know, when they get stops, don't look over at me, go, 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 go score the ball. You guys know what to do. So, you know, I'd like to increase our point per game output. I think part of that will be helped because I think we improved our three point shooting uh, in terms of some of the guys we brought in. Uh, so I guess that, you know, a higher percentage from three and then also, you know, uh, points per game. But part of that is I, I, I need to, I need to back off a little bit and give it a little more freedom, so I'm trying to do that. Man, you just sold me right there on that. I love it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> grab, well, grab a basketball well, yeah, and go. I, Don't I, look I, at me. I heard, I heard that you like to run three point five. Three I do. So, I, I mean, like that, that fits. That, that fits right in your wheelhouse. I got a super duper shot today. I played last night. I'm good to go though. Right now, super duper shot. That means I could almost now, if I wanted to move laterally, I almost could go. I almost could even think about guarding my yard to the left right now. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good pretty good feeling it is let me tell you that hey i did want to remind everybody paul you guys are going to owensboro of course this weekend as we mentioned but coming up the 16th and the 18th and the 22nd you've got three consecutive down there on the south side 
Yes, we're fired up about that. And I got to say this uh, to, to all the listeners. We are selling alcohol at our games now. So you can have a cold one and watch the Greyhounds. We have beer, wine, and seltzers. Come out, have a cold one, watch us play, and enjoy some good basketball. Awesome, man, right there. Wow, good for you. Sounds like like uh, one of those pregame things at Ron Colley. Right. You, get, <laughs> have tent. you guys see tent set up like they do at Ron Colley? One of those tents? Uh, they're they're going to have a station up top of the Nickerson <laughs> Hall with, with, with a beer for sale and yeah we not pregame we got for all 40 minutes so come, come, come have a few and, and watch us in action oh man and if you see him by the way i'm assuming you guys are going to be going by the redneck audubon down to owensboro on i-69 so if you're listening right here and you're anywhere in southwestern indiana like where i and burris coach burris grew up give him a wave when you see the greyhounds rolling southbound for a couple of wins i believe in the not so distant future man that's going to be a fun trip i like that too testing yourself early there is something really to be said about that i like it yeah you know and we, we need to do that you know last year you know I, at the end of the year we had a great year we went 26 and 5 number one seed in the ncaa tournament and hosted and unfortunately we uh we got knocked off and upset in the first round it was a tremendous season but it's always like okay so how do we do better the next year and i think by having a more challenging non-conference schedule it's going to prepare us for the postseason. So that's the ultimate goal. So Paul Cressaro, again, in Owensboro this weekend, Saginaw Valley, Lake Superior State, Thomas Moore on the 16th, 18th, and 22nd down on the south side with beer, wine, and seltzer at the games there. So go have some fun. Watch a great brand of basketball, too, which is awesome. And uh, say hello, everybody down there for us, too, Paul. Man, it's always great to have you on here. Best of luck to start this season, and we'll do it again very soon. Thanks, John. I appreciate you, buddy. You got it, man. Paul Casaro right there. He is the head coach of UND.